Welcome back to the Enneagram Journey. Today, I continue my conversation with Whitney Russell Stabile, Eden Hyder, and Candace David. These three women are all eating disorder specialists. Whitney is a one, Eden is a two, and Candace is an eight. quite a bit of Enneagram work in a short amount of time, mm-hmm. but it's it seems to be the success of it exacerbated by the fact that you're dealing with people and their numbers all day mm-hmm. and the upside and the downside of that. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I'd kind of like to run through the numbers and have each of you um, contribute a story or some wisdom or some understanding that has come to you about that in relationship to eating disorders, be it your child or family member or whatever. Because I think the nine Enneagram numbers cover in different ways. Mm -hmm. And I might, at the end of what you all three share, talk about how I think that number would cover behavior or how they would cover Mm -hmm. with uh, another number. Uh, Usually it would be a wing how they would do that. So I, I it's my nature to start with eights. And, yeah. So um, I want to start with um, what you think specifically about an eight or eights that you've experienced and what you have to share about that. And then we'll just keep going through the numbers. I think eights are awesome. <laughs> of course. I love being an eight. Yeah. <laughs> they, they can also... In a treatment setting, mm-hmm. if they are on the opposite side of recovery that we would want them to be, yeah. they can be very disruptive mm-hmm. in a group. Yes. yes. Oh, yeah. Because they, at such a big and strong personality within yes. a group, especially with the eating disorder community, because most people within the eating disorder community are very sensitive yeah. and are very people-pleasing. People-pleasing. Uh-huh. And... With an eight, who yeah. is very vocal and it's kind awesome. of wants the conflict and wants to stir the pot, yeah, um, bringing all of those people pleasing people over to them, yeah. and and I think it, just to thread this in, I think the other numbers also feel powerless mm-hmm. in that environment. Mm-hmm. So the eight feels and sounds very powerful mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. can they end up being like, be like the leader. Mm-hmm. In a good and bad ways and good mm-hmm. ways. Like yeah, you need to flip eight, them yeah. to the right side of recovery yeah. and then you're golden. <laughs> Everybody, else on my side. Side. Everybody else is going to fall in line. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that, so I have, I have one specific person in mind that I've, when I would go into process groups with them, mm-hmm. we would go around and share, right? And yeah. just like you, they'd right. say, I'm good with mm-hmm. a smile mm-hmm. um, and a little flare of, Kind of mischief mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. across the face, mm-hmm. and and I would stick with them, and I would I would keep asking them questions and stick with them and, and kind of challenge them yeah. on kind of dissonance between maybe what they're expressing or what they're emoting versus what they're showing, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and 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 these really beautiful, I mean I guess beautiful to a two, <laughs> maybe not beautiful. I'm to with you though. I'm right here. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> But these really lovely moments and powerful moments where she would break down and really be able to process uh-huh. what's yeah. going on. And I, and I think those, those were really good turning points for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think about like eights that I've worked with and then just myself knowing 
me, I would, it would need to be, you need to be a professional that could go toe to toe with them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and not get the, not show the least bit of anxiety whenever they're just losing it and letting you have it and doing that for in the house at least a week or so for them to see, okay, they, mm-hmm. they can take it. Mm-hmm. And then what Eden is saying, like not challenging them in those really uncomfortable groups that they hate, don't look forward to at all mm-hmm. and not allowing them the opportunity to deflect like they do at every mm-hmm. other point of their day. Mm-hmm. And speaking, sometimes I think speaking what they're feeling out loud for them. Mm-hmm. So that way they can understand I think that brings a level of, okay, this person may actually care uh-huh. if they're able to see through all of this yes. and say things that I'm so terrified to say out loud myself yeah. Yeah. and so, doing, helping them, helping them make those steps that way. Yeah. And in this process group with this girl, that's exactly what, you know, she'd crying and then I would kind of into it, right. What's happening and what she's processing. And mm-hmm. at the end, after the process group, she's fine. Right? Just like yeah. that. Uh-huh. Yep. And, and and she's like, Eden, you were trying to make me cry, weren't you? I was like, no. <laughs> no. Not, not that was all. a real feeling and that- it was yours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think thinking about an eight that I've worked with in particular, especially in family session sessions, she would complain about how we didn't get anything done. And I think it was because she didn't get done what she wanted to get done. And it wasn't like as much as she wanted to get done. But the emotional work that was actually done in the session was very productive. Oh, yeah. So she can't be the measure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got it. Got it. Mm-hmm. All right. Nines. Well, no, let me talk first about how I think eights cover. Yeah. Oh. I think they use their seven wing to cover. And I think they cover with humor. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. when you get close to mm-hmm. an eight emotionally, then there's that covering with that seven wing. And there's something that throws you off so that you, everybody backs up. Mm-hmm. And then you have to. Find your way to that place again. And I think that's unconscious. Mm-hmm. Do you think you cover with seven sometimes? Cover feelings? It's, it's got to be unconscious because right now I would say no. <laughs> yeah. watch, watch for it and see if you mm-hmm. do that. And if you don't cover with seven, then figure out how you cover so that you're back from that feeling place to just being passionate. Because <laughs> <laughs> I am so passionate. Yeah, so passionate. <laughs> Too bad it doesn't count as a feeling. Not always. No. <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> that was that covering that I'm talking about. Nice. Yeah, so, so the yes, that, that's, that's the complete seven. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. very sweet. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this is fun. All right. Uh, let's talk about nines, which, which I'll introduce by saying I think would be really tricky. And that might not be true at all. The nine that I'm thinking of... Just because since working with the Enneagram and learning about it, I think we've had every number in treatment since mm-hmm. I've learned it, but maybe only like one or two. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the nine that I'm thinking of had a really hard time with speaking up for herself mm-hmm. and being assertive, mm-hmm. especially with her family members. Mm-hmm. Um, Mom was really supportive, <laughs> so was dad, but she just couldn't say anything to them. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was like a wall was there kind of for no reason. But she just didn't want to stir anything up yeah. whatsoever. Peace at any cost. Yeah. And really not allowing herself sometimes to be uncomfortable and to be angry. Mm-hmm. Um, 
kind of swallowing it a mm-hmm. lot of the time mm-hmm. and not allowing herself to feel it. And eating disorder work is such, it, or it is so emotional and it has to be emotional mm-hmm. because they're managing their emotions with the eating disorder. And so if they're not allowing themselves to experience those emotions, they're not really getting much done. And I, and I think building trust mm-hmm. with those type of clients, it takes time mm-hmm. and they really have to trust that you're not going to react Oh, that's really good language. Yeah. 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 And I know, right? Because I have a nine little husband. Yeah. <laughs> I think part of it, too, though, what what do you think about the Rizzo Hudson unconscious and lost messages? Like, f- for nines, the message that they picked up in childhood that they kind of live with that unconsciously kind of operates is it's not okay to assert yourself. Mm-hmm. And I would think you would have to be about the business of asserting yourself if you're going to change behavior Mm -hmm. that comforts you in some way. Mm -hmm. But that seems to me it would be discounted in some ways by the fact that their lost message, which they didn't get anywhere, is your presence matters. So it's like, Mm -hmm. I, I, I wonder in a therapeutic situation that involves addiction of some kind, how you, how you manage with nines who think their presence doesn't matter and who don't think they should assert themselves. Well, the, the piece of your presence doesn't matter. I think I, I, reflecting to them, did you see what happened in the group? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Or do you see how your silence, specifically yours, impacts the group? Mm-hmm. Kind of really bringing it to process and context for them and, and allowing the group to even speak to that, you know, asking the members of the group to say, yeah, when, when you do talk, it, I mean, it's so helpful, mm-hmm. but when, when you don't, I, like, I, I want to know, like, I miss, I miss you not talking. So that, I feel like that mm-hmm. is how, I, what kind of comes to mind when it comes to that piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or even within their families, yeah. if they are, especially if they're in residential, they haven't been with their families mm-hmm. for a period of time and being able to, for the family to reflect to them how important their presence is mm-hmm. when they're home and how mm-hmm. Big sure. of a holder is when yeah, they're not there. Not there. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a prime opportunity for that, huh? I think the tricky part there is how big the hole is when they're not there, and and do you, does the nine feel like they're they're filling a role, and that that, that the way they're functioning mm-hmm. in that family mm-hmm. is gone, and that's what the family's missing there versus go. their actual Them. presence. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. So, do you have as many nines as you do other numbers? Well, the reason I'm asking is because I teach that nines are the least controlling Mm -hmm. of all the numbers on the Enneagram. And it seems to me that your clients have a lot going on around control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whether they have too much or too little. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You know, I say this quite often that, you know, control is also related to boundaries. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I don't have any, you know. But one of the things that I have, you know, come across and just learned and and seen is that um, the boundaries that people have with other people are similar to the boundaries that they have with food. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, interesting. And that really relates also to uh, their personality types. Mm -hmm. So somebody who has more rigid boundaries, probably like an eight or a one, would probably be more restrictive with food and more in control of their food or their specific behaviors, whatever it is, like exercise, et cetera. Mm-hmm. 
um, people who have more kind of fluid boundaries uh, four. Worse, are four. <laughs> um, they're usually the bulimics, mm-hmm. the people who sometimes have rigid ones, sometimes mm-hmm. have really loose ones. It's more chaotic. It's more chaotic. Mm-hmm. And the ones who have really loose boundaries mm-hmm. or like none, mm-hmm. <laughs> like a two or a seven, mm-hmm. um, are more of the bingers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With nines, what's coming to mind is I've worked with a lot of nines recently that have had a lot of suicidal ideation mm-hmm. and trying to address the your presence matters and so no, yeah. you don't need to choose to end your life. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. mm-hmm. that's really hard. And to, going from like zero to a hundred with those. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so doing what Eden spoke about earlier and process group, like bring, bring it to their attention that whenever they do contribute, people mm-hmm. listen, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they pay attention mm-hmm. um, and they often comment on how helpful mm-hmm. their statement was because nines are thinking all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and they see two sides to everything. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the things they say have so much balance. Yeah. It really helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. How about sevens? Oh, no, no, no. We're going the opposite way. Eight, nine, mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. How about ones? Why don't you go first, Whitney? <laughs> <laughs> um, ones really like to do um, treatment perfectly. So they're going to be yes. kind of the perfect client. Mm-hmm. They're going to, you know, kind of depending on where they are in their journey, they're either going to, they're going to do the meal plan perfectly mm-hmm. um and we have to a lot of times after once they've gotten to a certain point say like hey it's it's okay if you don't do this mm-hmm. perfectly like i want you to purposefully make a mistake today yeah mm-hmm. we often give them assignments one's assignments to go against mm-hmm. something like you have a no homework this week or, yeah <laughs> that's just fascinating because when I'm, I'm not a very good spiritual director, but I'm good using the Enneagram working with spiritual directors. And one of the things that happens when I am working with ones is I find out that thing they do that makes them feel so uncomfortable if they don't do, which might be making the bed or, you know, like I, I have mm-hmm. suggested to somebody that their spiritual practice for a week is not making their bed. Mm-hmm. And literally this yeah. woman who's my age called me midweek and said, I can't stand it. <laughs> I can't stand it. And I said, well, sure you can. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, yeah, I need help. I said, well, close the door. <laughs> so she she came back to me and talked about mm-hmm. that when she would walk by the door, she could just visualize in her own it. home. Yeah. She could just feel that unmade bed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I can sure see how if you all said, don't do it perfectly, it would be... What, what do you mean don't do it perfectly, mm-hmm. right? Or, or not wearing makeup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, now that would get Color outside right. the line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The coloring is good. Yeah. That's yes. a fun one to do. Yeah, or finger the... paint, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Coloring see. outside the oh, line. Yeah. Listen, look at that grin on that eight over there. Yeah. That's <laughs> a fun one. And That's fun. fun when we do that one. Or just giving them a task that doesn't have a lot of instruction. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like draw something you want to draw. So wait, what do you want me to do? How do you uh-huh. wait? But so how do you how do you want me to do it? Like a lot of questions like that that come up. Yeah, so they'll often like come into the house or would come into the house and want to know what things they needed to do in order to be moved up to the next phase. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. And they're gonna achievement do that related perfectly. And they're gonna turn quickly. everything in on time and quickly. Yes. And I want to be on phase four by my fourth day here. Like, yeah. Yeah. They want to do it fast and. So in, in many ways, for ones, it's it can also be about just slowing them down. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
Like taking their time. Yeah. Enjoying the journey of it. <laughs> Enjoying <laughs> Another thing that I've noticed about them, and which is pretty obvious, is just like like giving them permission to be angry about something uh-huh. and to say and to talk about it with that person. Yeah. Yes. Um, and even if they, even if it's me, like scream yeah. and yell at me, like I don't mm-hmm. care, but allowing them to be angry or to confront another client in the group about something that made them upset or their staff member like not even just therapists like a counselor or something like that that works on the floor with them so Eden do you say if you feel like you need to get angry and really scream and yell at somebody then you need to go to Whitney or Candace (laughs) (laughs) no I I I really like having the opportunity to to bless that part of yeah yeah um so I invite it the two would say bless. Bless. <laughs> it's when so it when good. it when it comes without me inviting it, yeah. that's when I have to kind of catch up, right? But yeah. but when I when I see it and I kind of draw it out, yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about twos then. People pleaser. So great. Yeah. Twos are so great. <laughs> Loving, helpful. Yeah. Yes, all of those things. All and those things. in individual therapy, they don't know what to do. No. Yes. Yeah. I had a two, and she's like, and it was so like her two ness was so, so much uh-huh. um, that she wanted. Like I told her, you know, this is about you. This is your time to be taken care of, um, and it's definitely not about me. And she's like, but I want to take care of you. I'm so good at it, and I'm uh-huh. like, I'm your therapist. <laughs> <laughs> you That's, don't need to do that. Yeah. But yeah. asking her, like, what do you need out of treatment? What do you want to work on? I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a big believer that everybody should have a therapist and everybody should have a spiritual director. And I remember the day, and it was probably eight years ago or nine, maybe. And I I remember him looking at me and saying about midway through an appointment, that was all interesting. And now should we use a little bit of this time that you're paying for to talk about you? (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, well, I I guess we could. (laughs) Yeah, I'm very helpful. (laughs) So what else about twos? Definitely caretaking oh, yeah. of everyone that everyone. they're around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the other clients that they're around, their family system, mm-hmm. um, siblings, mm-hmm. parents, husbands, kids, the therapist. So that I think is something that you have to work through in order to get to what's underneath. Like what, no, we're here to talk about you. What motivates you? Mm -hmm. What's happening in you? What, and and what happens in you when this person doesn't like you or this person is expressing, um, Man, I'm miserable just listening to the list. (laughs) Like, I'm not trying to be cute. That list makes me very uncomfortable. But you know why? It's not because I don't want to share any of that. It's because as a two, I don't know the answers to any of that. I have to really Mm -hmm. be on my game to know what I feel or think or want or Mm -hmm. any of that. So you're doing a lot of identity development work, Mm -hmm. I think, with with the twos. Mm -hmm. Because they don't necessarily have that solid sense of... This is who I am. This is what I want. This is what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and asking for those things. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. having them be able to know that it's okay to take care of themselves first. Mm-hmm. And to yes. ask for those things mm-hmm. to be taken care of from other people around them. Yeah. Wow. Right, so I'm thinking about like a confrontation model that we work on mm-hmm. with clients and their mm-hmm. parents. And and we ask clients to confront each other and process group at least once a day. They're supposed to do it. So that it's practice because a lot of them really struggle with asserting themselves 
in general. Right. And we're asking them to assert themselves with their eating disorder 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. And so we give them this model that allows them to, when you do blank, I feel blank. Um, So a two gets to speak about however they're feeling Mm -hmm. in the moment. And then (laughs) the person responds verbatim, repeating their sentence. Uh And then talk about what they were thinking and feeling whenever they did the action that hurt or offended the two. And in family sessions, trying to get a two to have that conversation with parents and it not be a positive confrontation right. mm-hmm. is very, very difficult. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a, lo- a lot of like prepping parents of, okay, so kiddo's going to say this and it's important that you guys do your best to respond in a way that is supportive and mm-hmm. not dismissive or invalidating because mm-hmm. then, wow not going to do it again for a yeah. while mm-hmm. so y'all just have to work with everybody in the room all the time yeah yeah, Is that yeah. accurate yeah mm-hmm. well, i think that i think that's when it's the most helpful mm-hmm. honestly mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. is when you can utilize the group for everyone's benefit mm-hmm. yeah because it is about the relationship mm-hmm. um, relationship to food relationship to each other mm-hmm. are you picking up well let me back up and just say my new theory about trying to work with therapists is uh, and some other groups is that I think you might be able to with a a couple of times together not one-on-one necessarily but in group or in family sessions I have kind of come up with the idea that I think it would be possible not to know what number the people are that you aren't working with that aren't your clients but to know what stance they're in which would be determined by Mm-hmm. which is repressed thinking, feeling, or doing, as opposed to which is dominant, right? Mm-hmm. So ones, twos, and sixes are in the dependent stance. Fours, fives, and nines are in the withdrawing stance. Mm-hmm. And threes, sevens, and eights are in the aggressive stance. And do you think that you all have done quite a bit of talking about the Annie Graham and, and some work, but do you think it would be possible for you to pick up in a family group, meaning what stance people are in so you know whether they're withdrawing dependent or aggressive. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then what? Then does that affect how you see uh, your client in that system? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does the Enneagram help with that? I mean, that's the mm-hmm. question that I'm getting to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And think about how that might be helpful because I think if we start exploring together, you know, I don't do what you do. So I'm not ever going to be able to speak into using the Enneagram in your professional areas like you will be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And and so since we have a place, it, it would be a place for that work to get done without Joe or me being involved and hands-on. And I, I think um, my hope for this rise with Enneagram interest right now. You know, I've been teaching 25 years with people not being terribly interested, mm-hmm. thinking, oh, well, that's weird, or oh, is that like numerology? Yeah. <laughs> I've had that question a yeah. thousand times. So this is a time right now. Yeah. And I, I want what comes out of my part to be professionally appropriate, insightful, and very astute. And I can't do that in any profession but my own. Right, because mm-hmm. I think it'll be different across the board. So I think even if I want to continue to do work with Enneagram and recovery, <clears throat> what I offer is just going to be a baseline for different groups to use to move forward with that. 
<laughs> All right, so let's talk about threes. I would think, I'll just say it, I would think this would be the trickiest number. They are tricky. Yeah. I've seen, I, I think I've only had one three since learning the Enneagram, and it was hard to just establish rapport with her because I couldn't get a sense of who she really was. Mm-hmm. Do you know that that's because we ascribe to the world the way we are? And so since threes can adapt and change mm-hmm. to be whatever they think you want them to be, mm-hmm. they think we're doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So why would they trust us with something like all of this mm-hmm. life-changing stuff, right? Because So it, it just sets up a thing of for threes. Everybody's adapting to be whatever everybody wants them to be. And who's what, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm sorry I interrupted. No, it's okay. Because I think that makes a lot of sense because she really didn't trust us. And she did what she needed to do to be successful uh-huh. in the program uh-huh. without really making any progress. Boy, that's an important line. Mm-hmm. She did what she needed to do to be successful in the program without really making any progress. So she did all the behaviors right. and the things that we were asking her to do. But internally, nothing had changed for her. Mm-hmm. And I think that happens with ones, too. Ones can do yeah. mm-hmm. um, the program and be very successful. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as they're done, go right back to their eating disorder. Because mm-hmm. nothing internally changed for them. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Threes are a hard number for me. Threes and eights are hard for each other. Yeah. <laughs> Globally. <laughs> Globally. That's not just your thing. Because <laughs> in working with threes, I am pretty aggressive. And I'm wanting them to get to a place where they can choose to to try and be a little more congruent with right. them in general. Right. And uh, it's frustrating when when you don't get there because they're only hurting themselves. Mm-hmm. But they don't really see that in the mm-hmm. moment. I feel like I I really watch for moments, and, it, and it's usually just moments where I see something pretty unrefined or oh, that's um, a good word. authentically them, mm-hmm. and, and then I jump on it. Yep. And <laughs> tax that just that's right, that's right. And and we process it, and then I keep bringing it up. Mm-hmm. Um, have you felt that today? Mm-hmm. Um, when what was happening? That's yeah. um, to kind of build up again that identity piece of this is you, and let's talk about how you are and all these other different. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. This is still you when you do this, 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 and this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, how about fours? I think <laughs> I think I have kind of a I don't know if this is appropriate to say, <laughs> but like a love hate hate relationship with fours because there are a lot of fours that I love and yeah. like need the fours in my life and love having them as clients, but they're they can be so difficult mm-hmm. to have as clients. What makes them difficult? Well, in terms of having an eating disorder. Um, a lot of clients with eating disorders, the eating disorder is what makes them special. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Wow. And a four will do anything to feel special. Yep. And so mm-hmm. if we're taking this specialness mm-hmm. away from them, they hate it. Yeah. And they have a really hard time letting it go. Um, so I have had, I had a really great experience working with a four several years ago. And it was just while learning about fours, I thought of her. Mm-hmm. And we really... 
worked on how she can be special and feel unique Mm -hmm. without her eating disorder and also just feeling special and unique by doing just kind of the ordinary everyday things of life. Mm -hmm. And she really, really liked that and related to Mm -hmm. that. And I think I really appreciate fours because of their emotionality Mm -hmm. because they can have so much emotion and sometimes it can be really refreshing in a therapeutic Mm -hmm. relationship Mm -hmm. For them to just freely express whatever it is mm-hmm. that they're feeling. Because mm-hmm. they can't do otherwise, mm-hmm. you know. And so that in that way, I think sometimes they can be a little bit easier to work with because you know exactly how they're feeling. Yeah. yeah. Um, they also can be very difficult. And they're the ones that you have to be very on top of setting good boundaries with. Because they want to kind of attach and be your friend mm-hmm. and be mm-hmm. um, kind of aligned with you. But they can't be because they're your client. Yep. And so setting those boundaries and having to really be on top of those boundaries all the time with them is helpful for them and also difficult for them. And kind of consistently restating that this is a boundary because of this relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is why it's not because you're not special. It's not yeah. because mm-hmm. I don't like you. It's not because I'm not choosing you. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have to tell them that. Mm-hmm. A lot. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes, you do. A lot. Yeah. Okay, Candace, I, um, my experience has taught me that what eights and fours have in common is that they're both, a, they, they both value authenticity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And so generally, if a four is healthy, eights can get along with them pretty well. I want you to tell me what you think about fours in treatment first, but then I want to here, what you think that's about with eights and fours? Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so fours in treatment, so definitely I think setting boundaries like therapist-client boundaries and also working with them on setting appropriate boundaries for their outside life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. that's an area where they can really struggle. Yeah. yeah. And, that's a lovely way to put it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then I think it can also be really refreshing for the group and even as a therapist, when you're leading a group of kiddos, to know that, okay, there, there's going to be one person in this group that's going to talk about and show how they're feeling, and I can count on that happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that can really help everyone else to, mm-hmm. okay, the door's been opened, somebody's taken the first step, and uh-huh. they started talking about what they're really struggling with, and right. so now I can do that too. And so I think it's also can be really great to have them in the milieu to kind of model for people what it's like to express your emotions and talk about that in a safe place. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think that can be really healing for people, especially yeah. eights, to see that. So speaking personally, I get kind of done and want to like just kind of toss my hands up in there when it gets to be too dramatic. Yeah. And emotional. I'm like, oh, that's not necessary. <laughs> <laughs> Efficient, we are wasting time. <laughs> That's so great. It really doesn't need to happen right now. Um, so I think about our dear friend Malak, and her and I are great friends. So she's a dietitian that we all work with, and she's a four, and she and I get along great. And then I know there are times where I'm like, I can't. Uh-huh. Eden's taking over for me. <laughs> yeah. Eden's going to be there for her emotionally and and help with this and. I can be the one, like Whitney says, that talks to her about what are helpful boundaries to have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely appreciate that someone, to feel like somebody else is able to walk into the room and, and be authentic and not tell you what what you think you want to hear. Yeah, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think AIDS really can trust that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's mm-hmm. part of yeah. what works. Yes. Because yeah. I have like two friends <clears throat> that can tell me that they think I look great. And I'm like, you, whatever. Yeah. Probably don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm just not even going to take that in. Yeah. Um, but like I also know that Malak will come in and, and be able to tell me, hey, you're not doing so hot today. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's that is really nice. There's a sense of okay, I, I can rest a little bit almost and knowing that somebody else can speak to me that way. So do you think that could be because your range of emotion is so extreme and their range of emotion is so extreme? You know, there's a... But they're just externalizing it. They're expressing yeah. it versus the eight. I express my anger. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> you sure do. You In sure. a hot second. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, nothing slow about that. No. <laughs> I think uh, what causes people to back up from eights and fours is that it, that they are intense mm-hmm. is a better word than extreme, yeah. probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so intense. Uh-huh. And I think they appreciate that in one another. Uh-huh. And it's a little bit threatening to other numbers. Yeah, I can yes. see that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm very intrigued by this next one. I'm intrigued by all of them, but I really would like to hear you talk about fives. I have this sense that there are fives walking through the world who are, in in the literal, true sense of the word, very needy, and we don't know it. Mm-hmm. Parents who are fives. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be difficult because they do want to stay so disconnected. And it can be very hard for them to show up, I think, in sessions. Mm-hmm. Especially if there's two parents. There's Usually with a five, there's a another parent who has a lot more mm-hmm. energy and is has more of a presence in the mm-hmm. session. Where the five is totally okay kind of just being there. Just, and yeah. just not, not saying, saying anything. Much. Mm-hmm. But for, you know, kind of recovery within the family... Both parents have to be involved and both parents have to show up. Mm -hmm. And so I think what we often have to do is ask the parent who is more present and has more energy Mm -hmm. to kind of back off Mm -hmm. and allow the five to come to come. Mm -hmm. And it takes, it takes a lot of energy from them Mm -hmm. to do that. And Mm -hmm. they have to choose to do that. We can't really make them Mm -hmm. do that. I even suggested it once in a family session that the next family meal that the mom not say anything and that the dad who was a five mm-hmm. to kind of run the session, he goes, mm, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. So I've had, I have a couple that come to mind that were fives, mm-hmm. very intellectual, very rational and, and very, um, very threatened by, f- by feelings and the expression of their own feelings. Very scared by that. Yeah. And, and yet rationalizing with her like working Mm -hmm. to respond with rational answers didn't get the job done you know Um, I had to sit with her and really translate kind of her comments into feelings Uh for her and Uh and it and even then she was she was pretty like resistant that those were (laughs) actually there you know yeah Yeah. it's fascinating if you ask a five what they feel they will tell you what they think mm-hmm. every single time. Mm-hmm. And you just have to come back and ask again, and you'll just get what they think again. Mm-hmm. I, and I'm so d- concerned that in the culture we now interchange those two words like they mean the same thing. Mm-hmm. So They mm-hmm. just don't. They don't. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's 
cultural language to say, I feel when it's I think, and I think when it's I feel. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, and in therapy, that's funny that you say that, because in therapy, I say, tell me what you're thinking and feeling right now. Because as an eight, I'm not inclined to say what I'm feeling first. I'm <laughs> right. going to tell you what I think. Yeah. And, and there will, are emotions behind that, mm-hmm. but that's not the first thing, or even the second or third thing I'm going to tell you. And so, like, what we do with our kids, and what I still do is have them check in at the beginning of a group with two to three emotion words that describe how they're feeling. Uh-huh. But definitely, like, in session, I'll still ask even parents, like, tell me what you're thinking and feeling right now in four or five. I know that the, sometimes it's all I'm going to get, and I'm going to run with that. So I'm in more, I'm more inclined to go the rational route for a while then uh-huh. and see if that doesn't... Because sometimes I think that can work in... In your favor, if you can talk with them, like from the nutrition standpoint, sure. even mm-hmm. and what's happening Absolutely. to their body, even yeah. Like, hey, look, let's look at this logically. <clears throat> this is happening, and your body isn't going to be able to keep this up. Uh-huh. You're going to live a very short and potentially very painful, physically painful life um, if this is something that continues to happen. And sometimes, mm-hmm. like I have one client that I'm thinking of in particular, that worked for her, and I'm talking about like what genetics had for her body type. And explaining why she wouldn't look like somebody in the magazines or there's Photoshop that happens for everyone that's in a magazine. And her body type is a combination of mom and dad and what their family history says about how they look is going to contribute a lot to what she is going to look like. Mm-hmm. And then talking about you know, if you want to go into these, where your, your torso has your organs and mm-hmm. it needs so much fat on your organs because, you know, X, Y, Z. And I would add that I think for fives, there's a lot, there's an intense amount of shame around receiving that information, the rational intellectual mm-hmm. information, and having such a big feeling against it that mm-hmm. it doesn't work. Doesn't Isn't that sense. interesting mm-hmm. because they're the most rational number in some ways? So that has its own boundary when it's about them. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. very interesting to think about. You know, uh, my mom was a five in the back to the messages again, because I think they have a lot to do with motivation. The message that fives didn't get is your needs are not a problem. That's what I'm trying to get to. Mm. And in dealing with your needs are not a problem, my mom at at 92 with a broken hip was still apologetic if she needed anything. And that's after I'd said to her for years and years and years, your needs are not a problem for me. I I want to meet them. It's good for me. Your needs are not a problem. She just couldn't take that in. So I wonder how that plays into fives who are in treatment, who are needy, who need tools and need somebody to understand them. Do you pick up that they feel like their needs are a problem? I would think sometimes if they're, you know, obviously less inclined to ask for things, um, to say how they're struggling with something and to say, you know, they don't like have a skill to use when this feeling happens inside their body. They don't really want to call anxiety, but might be that whenever they, you know, sit down to have a meal that for some reason they can't. So incompetence is the deal. I'm inadequate to the task and I'm feeling incompetent to address Mm -hmm. the task. That's typical five trouble right there. That's when they feel terrible and get angry is when they feel incapable or incompetent to do something. Well, I think the needs relate to like emotional needs because I think when they have yeah. needs that can be rationally expressed and dealt with and mm-hmm, solved, mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. I'm fine. I can yeah. do it. Mm-hmm. But I think I think the pause maybe when you ask that question is, well, I think they can express those needs, but I don't think they even express their emotional needs for go. us to know that that is a need. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So that would be a way that I might teach that differently. Because mm. I might talk about emotional needs instead of just needs, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I always want people who are interested in the Enneagram to hear that I believe that the reason I do a good job with the Enneagram is because of moments just like the one we just had mm-hmm. where I learn from other people what the right word is to put there. Because there's just no way to see the world from the perspective of every number without that. All right, before we uh, do six and seven, I sometimes teach Jonah, the book of Jonah, and the and four mantras. And the mantras are show up, pay attention, tell the truth, and don't get attached to the results. And <laughs> Jonah did all that stuff. Uh, I... I learned the mantras, and then needed to do a Bible study for a Sunday school class and thought, man, I don't have anything to teach, and I don't know, I'd kind of like to do something new. And so I put those two together, and it really worked. But I use the mantras by themselves a lot. Show up, like really show up and be present. Pay attention to what's happening. And tell the truth, for goodness sakes. And don't get attached to the results. And there are different numbers that have trouble with different of the four Statements in the mantras, right? Mm-hmm. Is that even is that mantra even possible in the work that you guys do in terms of don't get attached to the results? Like, I, I can see how y'all could work with show up, pay attention, tell the truth. But is does everybody need to be attached to the results? Or do I not understand the result? You, do you know what I'm trying to ask? The only thing that I can think of related to that is... They have a hard time with the timing of the results, mm-hmm. um, wanting it to be faster, and especially parents being attached to mm-hmm. the results and what it's going to look like when their kid is in recovery or their loved one's in recovery, especially if it's a spouse, because they can look extremely different in their eating disorder and even before they had their eating disorder and then in recovery. Because a lot of times they've done so much transformation and uh-huh, inner work uh-huh. that they look very different. Oh. And, you know, if you can think about a client who hasn't ever expressed their needs, isn't right. being assertive, is doing that, that causes quite a lot of disruption. Mm-hmm. And the results are going to look different yeah. maybe than the loved ones were expecting it to look like. And I think kind of what an area where we have to ask them to not be attached to the results is especially with their body, mm-hmm. especially while they're in recovery, asking them to not be attached to the results about what the number on the scale is going to look like, Got or it. what size clothing they're going to have, or what their body shape is. You know, just allow, I, I, I guess, kind of ask them to put that aside mm-hmm. um, for a time being because we want you to figure out who you are independent of what your body looks like Uh or how Mm -hmm. you want your body to look like at the end of this Mm -hmm. and telling them that the way that they are perceiving their body right now is through kind of an eating disorder viewpoint and their anticipated body type when it's in recovery, they look at it through an eating disorder Mm -hmm. viewpoint. Mm -hmm. But once they're finally in recovery, Uh they're going to think differently about the way their body looks. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the word results is a tricky one because it is so quantitative. Yes. Right? Yeah. And I think with that eating disorder mindset, 
it's immediately quantitative. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the work that we're wanting to do is move them out of that quantitative place mm-hmm. to a more intuitive place. And so I think that could be a, a tricky mantra of, mm-hmm. of the few, but I think if clarifying it and mm-hmm. giving context to it mm-hmm. would help. Yeah. Yeah, because you're looking at even them thinking about whatever meal plan they're given, especially in a higher level of care, is yeah. it going to be the meal plan that they're on whenever yeah. they're all the way in outpatient? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and then when they're recovered, the goal is to not have meal plan at all. Mm-hmm. You will eat when it you're did. hungry, stop when you're full, mm-hmm. yeah. eat all things in balance, variety, and moderation. And like Whitney said, like the results, I think, change over time. Mm-hmm. It's almost, I think almost see it as like a, a checkpoint. Uh-huh. as a way to kind of like measure progress because even going back to what he didn't said earlier and that recovery isn't a linear progress it's so up and down right and so those results like end goal is full recovery and everyone's definition of that is a little bit different mm-hmm. and kind of all throughout you've got all, all these things changing yeah what, what comes to mind is don't don't get attached to the results but attached to yourself like, oh interesting attached to kind of that intuitive sense of self that is developing through this roller coaster ride. And so, of course, from my perspective as a two, showing up, I'm, I've got, like, I can show up. Right. And I'm all about paying attention. Mm-hmm. And I've learned to really be committed to telling the truth mm-hmm. over the last, I don't know, 15 or 20 years maybe. But boy, it's a struggle for me not to attach to the results. Mm-hmm. of do they like me do they not like me was it successful was it not successful should I have done it should I have not done it all of that and I, I, I would think for you Eden that having kids get well mm-hmm. and be safe and healthy and whole mm-hmm. would be a big deal and when that doesn't happen a bigger deal mm-hmm. uh, it is hard um, it's hard to not translate that to I've failed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So I think I probably go there first. Mm-hmm. And then the work that I've done kicks yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> to talk Absolutely. me back from that place. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I think... I, I go there first and then I go to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the same way. And I think we all want for our clients to get to a certain point, And sometimes they just don't get there. Yeah. You know, and... I've even recognized that just in this conversation, I've said progress like probably 10 Mm. different times or like progress being Mm -hmm. done. And I think Mm -hmm. for a one, you know, we have these tasks that we have to achieve Mm -hmm. and that we want to check off or we want to be completed. And it's hard when the task is not complete. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of left working with clients that. I might not get them to the place that I want them to be, mm-hmm. but they've made progress. It sometimes takes a little bit of self-talk for yeah. myself yeah. Yeah. to recognize yeah. that. Yeah. Okay, I come from a tradition of Enneagram wisdom that believes that about half the people in the world are sixes. Do you think that shows itself in your clientele? Like, do you have more sixes than other numbers? And what is it like working with sixes and... Can you see a difference in phobic and counterphobic sixes in treatment that matters in terms of how you do treatment? I feel like we work with a lot of people who have quite a bit of anxiety. And so Mm -hmm. I think it can be difficult sometimes to pick out the six from the others. Yeah. Because all the numbers that come into us 
nine times out of ten, they're going to have some mm -hmm. comorbid anxiety disorder. Mm -hmm. I have had quite a bit of moms who are probably a six. Yes. Yep. Agreed. And, and I think that might just manifest itself because of the environment that they have put their child in and it ramps up that fear and the anxiety. Definitely not saying that a six mom causes their child to have an eating right. disorder by no, any means. Of course not. But I think that is just what I recognize the quickest when it comes to thinking about sixes in the environment that we work with. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting to me to watch this exact dynamic because sixes are like the water you swim in. They're everywhere. Mm -hmm. They're every other person we know. They're everywhere. And yet, when I start asking specific questions about sixes, people are reticent to wade into the conversation with uh, awareness. Or, And I, I don't know if that's because sixes don't particularly want to be noticed. I suspect that they don't. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we don't notice them. And they're holding together everything. They're holding together all the communities that we belong to. They're the, they are the people on the Enneagram who are concerned about the common good. They're holding everything together. So I, I, um, I think it would be very tricky for a six to trust treatment. Mm -hmm. Next time we do this, let's come back and talk about that some more. Yeah. All right, let's talk about sevens. I had one client who was a seven that I really enjoyed because she was just funny and we always had a fun time in sessions and I think that's pretty mm -hmm. that's <laughs> hard for the course yeah. and refreshing. Good time. Oh, good. I have heard it. <laughs> yeah. um, but the thing that was hard for her was to, for her to allow herself to have negative emotions. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. So they would come up and I would see them come up on her face and I would see her swallow them right yeah. back down. Mm -hmm. And I had to have her, like, where are you going? <laughs> stay here. Mm -hmm. She's like, I don't want to stay here. I don't like this. Yeah. I'm like, I know you don't like it. And we got to do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and she hated crying and mm -hmm. felt really um, like it was weakness mm -hmm. and didn't want to show that to anyone else. So family sessions were interesting. But once she started allowing herself to do it mm -hmm. and doing it on a regular basis, she seemed to really get quite a bit out of it to just allowing herself to experience those negative emotions and seeing that she's not going to die. Mm -hmm. They're just uncomfortable. Nothing's going to nothing's going to change or nothing's gonna, bad is going to happen because you're having these negative emotions mm -hmm. and allowing yourself to have them. Mm -hmm. And even to expressing them to another person isn't going to harm that relationship but actually might actually help the relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think the enneagram is uh, quite something, obviously. But I use the word mystical. I think there are mystical things about the Enneagram. And I think that's why we don't know all of its history. And I think that's why we don't know everything about it. And that's why I'm okay with not knowing everything about it. All of that lead in is to say that I think there's such a gift in the Enneagram that sevens go to one in stress. Because when they do bring up that sad feeling or they do follow it, then they want to do something with it that's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And without that move to one, they wouldn't, I don't know how they would get there. It seems like they would just reframe that and keep moving. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. It's awfully hard to reframe an eating disorder. There's too much tangible stuff going on. Um, all right, we don't have very much time left, so I have a couple of 
things I want to say, and I, I have a real important question. I am so impressed with the three of you. <laughs> I am. And I'm very impressed with what you know and with the confidence that you have in saving the lives of people's children at a young age. But if I had a child who I thought I was going to lose to an easing, eating disorder, I would be so afraid. Mm -hmm. I would be so afraid and I would feel so helpless. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I kind of look for opportunities to say to men and women who listen to the podcast and who hear my work or hear me talk that the mistake that I make working with younger men and women is when I don't listen to them, not when I do. So I'm just so impressed with your way of being at the table with me. I'm so impressed with your answers. I would feel so good if I had a kid in a lot of trouble just handing that child over to your care. So I, I from everything good in me, thank you for giving me this time and for sharing what you do and how you do it. I hope you'll join me in Edmond, Oklahoma on February 23rd and 24th for a Know Your Number conference. You can get more information at lifeinthetrinityministry.com about registration and about the event. It's a good opportunity for you to bring a friend to a Know Your Number workshop because it's changed your life and you want to offer it to them. And it's a great way for you to come listen for the number you go to in stress and the number you go to in security. Hope I see you there. The Enneagram Journey podcast is produced by Life in the Trinity Ministry. Music is provided by Solve Lighthouse. Professional photography is courtesy of Courtney Perry. We invite you to visit theenneagramjourney.org for more information, and we welcome your questions and comments. Thank you for being with us today.